So welcome back to our, our study of the story this morning. It's going to be kind of another uh, pre-week. Uh, yeah, pre-week. So we're, we're getting ready. Um, we were going to dive into the creation week, but due to changes and us not being able to be at Rotary this morning, and just the way things were going with another thing, uh, we're going to do another week of uh, getting you ready for it. All right. So anyway, the, the Bible is like a, a mural, and we've talked about this last week. Um, it tells a single story, but it's like a mural. We, we looked at a couple of different pictures last week. We looked at the Mona Lisa, um, which you can see on the screen again. And this is, you know, a, a single uh, portrait. There's a lot going on, but it's the famous portrait. But then we looked at, in contrast, the Sistine Chapel. And the fact that the Sistine Chapel is this entire grand story, actually God's story, um, painted in all of these scenes and acts throughout the whole chapel. And the center of the entire thing is the idea that God reaching out to man. And that is what we're going to be dealing with, that God wants you involved and that, that God actually desires to be with you, to be present with you in life. And when that's broken, that's what God wants to make. So all, all of us are born broken. We're all born separated. But God wants to, to mend that. And so we talked last week also, introduced the idea of of both the upper story and the lower story. That as we read through the Bible and as you look at your own lives and you, you, you focus on the things that are going on in your life each day, you need to step back and think about how they're connected with what God is doing. And honestly, that, that's the hard part sometimes of our lives because we get focused on the nitty-gritty. We get focused on what's not going right. And we don't see because God may choose not to show us how that is currently connected with the upper story. But the fact of the matter is, it is connected to the upper story, and God is doing a work um, through the lower story that is related to the upper story. And so we looked at this narrative slide last week also about our reality on the bottom, the lower story, versus God's reality. And, and things aren't always what they seem. And that's what we got to keep in mind as we are going through this. This morning, I want to talk about two primary things. The first is engaging in God's story. That you need to engage. Okay? That means you've got to be plugged in. That means you're doing something. That means there's an aspect where it's, it's not just God. Okay, God works in us, Okay, but there's an aspect where you have to do something. And if you're not doing it, if you're not engaged, then you're missing out. You're disconnected. You're not hooked in to the story. And so that's one of the things that we want to talk about this morning. The other thing we'll talk about after we deal with engaging God's story is sharing God's story. And so we look first this morning at the pattern of Moses. And Moses is a very famous guy, and we'll get into his story as we get into further weeks. But for this morning, most of us know who he is. Before Moses died, he put in place something to help God's people stay on track. He set up a pattern for them to follow. And every seven years, all of Israel, men, women, and children, okay, and foreigners, would get together and they would read the story, the Torah. That's what they had at the time. God's story, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, from beginning to end. Now, I want you to think about that. If you have your Bible with you, you can look at how big a chunk of text that might be. From Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy, the first five books. They would get together and they would read that whole thing together. 
sometimes we think my preaching is too long. All right? So how about we read from Genesis to Deuteronomy all together today? Okay. Let's take a few hours, right? Sure. So keep that in mind. But let's look with me at Deuteronomy 31. So I, I just skipped the first four, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. So Deuteronomy 31, it says that Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the Lord's covenant, and to all the elders of Israel. Now here's where I might have a slight problem, actually. With my gizmo. Yeah, you might have to hit the right arrow, honey. Moses commanded them at the end of the seven years, at the appointed time in the reign of debt cancellation, during the festival of booths. Sorry. When all of Israel assembles in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he chooses, you are to read this law aloud before all of Israel. Gather the people men, women, children, foreigners, living within your gates, so they may listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to follow all the words of this law. Then their children, who do not know the law, will listen and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So what do we have here? We have that God has Moses institute this time period where every seven years they're getting together and they're going to read this. Why? So they'll be reminded of what God has revealed, of God's story, of how they are supposed to be plugged in and engaged with God's story as God's people. This is part of discipling. This is part of teaching your children. That's why, you, that's why you've got to teach children and read them the stories of God and help them understand what they need. Now, the problem is, Moses died shortly thereafter, and Joshua took over. And during Joshua's time period, it appears that they did this. But after Joshua, things didn't go so well in this regard. We begin to have the kings, Saul, David, and Solomon, which we'll talk about in future weeks. And, and this idea of celebrating this time period every seven years seems to have been sporadic and then fallen into disuse. They didn't practice it. And so this goes on for quite some time until eventually God's people are kicked out of the land, kind of like they're kicked out of the garden, which we'll talk about next week. And as they are spewn out of the land, if you want to use a previous quote that God said would be a curse to them if they didn't follow his ways, covenant, um, when they come back, we see the pattern that is reinstated. And this picks up many, many years afterwards. This is hundreds of years later. This is when Ezra and Nehemiah are coming back. When they're coming back and they're rebuilding, this is the time period where suddenly we find that they're going to continue to do what Moses had said that they should have been doing all along. So we find that in uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 73, so the priests, the Levites, and the gatekeepers, the temple singers, and some of the people temple servants and all of Israel settled in their towns. And when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. And then, look at this is the people asking. This is not Ezra. This isn't the leader that says, hey guys, we should do something. No, the people said to 
Israel. Uh, why do they want to go get the book? What do you think? Because they want to read it. They want to have him read it. They want to have it explained. They want to talk about it. And so, as Ezra gets the book and he, he brings the book, what do we find in chapter 8, verse 5? We find that Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people, since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. And then in verses 7 and 8, it says, Joshua, Benai, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, uh, Shabbatai, uh, Hodiah. Can you see all these names? <laughs> you can skip them all. All these who were Levites, right, they explained the law to the people as they stood in their places. They read out of the book of the law of God, translating and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was read. So what's going on? He's reading the law. He's explaining it to them so they can understand it. See, it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to understand it. That's one of the reasons that um, it's not as much of an issue now. I mean, it still is in some schools. But when I started pre teaching in Christian schools, one of the things I, I tried to encourage them to do is, Let's have another translation besides the King James. Not because there's anything wrong with the King James. It's great. It's had a 400-year awesome history. But kids growing up today don't speak that. I don't speak it. When I first became a Christian in uh, 1993, King James language was rough for me. I would read the King James, and then I would have an NIV next to, next to me, um, trying to get acclimated to the these and the thous and what's going on and the essence of the end of words, right? I mean, it's not super difficult, but... If you already struggle a little bit, it just makes it so much harder. I'm like, why put additional hurdles in front of people when we want them to understand the word? Ezra is explaining to the people so that they can then engage in it. If they don't understand it, well, they can't engage in it. It says in, in chapter 8, verse 9, it says, Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, they said to all of them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping as they heard the word the law. Okay? Nehemiah and Ezra are all about rebuilding. Okay? It's a whole rebuilding. Rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the morality, rebuilding the people of God. And so they're, they're reading this and they're learning and understanding and it says in verse 12, all the people began to eat and drink and send portions and have a great celebration because they had understood the words that were explained to them. And so after they're, they're weeping and they say, hey, let's rejoice instead, Ezra says, and they eat together as a family and they discuss God's word and they apply what they learn. All right? There's a lot of truths in this passage. Um, we're not even going to execute this whole passage. I'm using this as an example of the pattern that Moses instituted and then was was brought back up. Yeah. I have a question, Lieutenant. What is the thing that that sense portion, what does that mean? So they're fellowshipping together. Um, we've often said as part of our church, that when we started Acts uh, chapter 2, which is 42 to 47, that people met together in each other's homes on a regular, even daily basis. And what did they do? They ate together and they fellowshiped, they studied God's word, and they talked with speaking. Um, they worshiped and they prayed. And so we see some of that going on here centered around the word of God. Um, when we get together, engage. 
this is why I said earlier to some of you guys, talk to one another, fellowship, like engage with one another, encourage one another. Uh, when Zoran prayed earlier and he mentioned about not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves, if you go read that passage in Hebrews, one of the things it says is the reason you get together is so that you can encourage one another while you're still alive, while you are still engaged in God's work. Because what happens if you go read Hebrews, Hebrews has a lot of warning passages in it. Because the people were being persecuted and they were falling away from following God. They were um, not being devoted and committed. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to show up to encourage each other. I've told you before that when you don't show up, it's discouraging to me because I'm prepared, right? But on top of that, it's encouraging to see you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know how I can help you. And I'm hoping that some of you want that for each other. Like, I hope you like to see each other when you show up. Um, I hope that when someone's not here for a couple weeks and then they're back again, you're like, yes, they're here. I get to see them again. Um, that's why we, we like you to stay and eat. Um, that's why we have food every week. It's not just eat you. It's because what happens when you're around the table eating? You talk food. You talk, yeah, right? Unless you got your phones out, right? So, but you talk, right? And so you engage with each other and you build relationships, all right? And, and that's the point. That's what we want going on. And so that's happening here. You move on to verse 17 in Nehemiah, still in chapter 8. And he says, the whole community that had returned from exile made booths and lived in them. They had not celebrated like this from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. And it was tremendous joy. This should remind you of the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that we studied and celebrated a little bit about just a few months ago. During that time, they would read the law. And so that's what they're doing here during this time period. They're reading that. They're being encouraged. They're understanding. So when I say we need to engage in the story of God, I'm saying you've got to engage in God's Word. That's how He's revealed Himself to us. Okay? You have to be in His Word if you're going to understand what He's doing, if you're going to be part of the story that He's doing. I mean, you're already part of the story because you're born. But if you're going to be an active, positive part of that story, we've got to engage in it. And so what I want to do now is I want to talk a little bit about the scriptures, uh, because I know that there's a lot of confusion. Um, they're hard to understand sometimes. So the, the first thing is the storyline of the scriptures, uh, the Bible storyline. It covers a lot of history. It covers thousands of years. Um, some of the books are difficult to read. So as, as we're reading these, and you look at this storyline, which is probably a little too small to see on the screen, um, we're going to break that up. So next week I'll have like just that first chunk so you can see it. But these are the five acts or the five movements in the little small uh, circles down at the bottom. Okay? And then the timeline is also it's in all of your books, on your storybooks that you have, okay, in the front section. But this timeline of what God is doing, and I want you to fill out on your paper some information here about the scriptures. Okay? So as, as we look at the scriptures, we see that... For, for many, many years, there was a, a lack of scriptures. They, they didn't have them. And so you have three things listed on your, on your paper, and you have some fill-in-the-blanks that you can put in there. And so, um, Melissa, you'll have to I think yeah. advance it because it's not showing up. Um, oh, yes, it is. Never mind. I got it. So uh, the first thing is that for the first time period, okay, you can look at the screen and see, 
from somewhere around 10,000 BC, all right? Now, your starting point is, is a little bit up to you and what you what you believe, okay? So 10,000 is just a generic number. Um, you could put 6,000 BC, okay? This really is saying, like, when did God create, you know? And we don't know exactly for sure anyway, so some people are going to go, you know, with millions. We're not going to, you know, get into that debate right now. Um, I just want to show you something that for a long time, there was no scriptures. So somewhere around the 1400s is when Moses was writing these scriptures. So if you do the math, 10,000 minus 1406, give or take, then you end up with 8,594 years without any scriptures. Now, you could uh, reduce that by a little bit. If you use 6,000 BC as a starting point, then you'll end up with 4,594 years <coughs> without scriptures. What, what did they do before they had scriptures? Well, God spoke to Adam, and Adam was supposed to do what? Listen and? Work. Yeah, yeah, and? What's he supposed to do with what God told him? Guard the garden. Yeah, all these are right. Okay, but I want you to think about in relationship to this. There's no scriptures, so no. for hundreds of years, how are the next group of people supposed to know what God wants them to do? Oh, oh you got to tell them. So Adam is supposed to listen to God so he can tell them. So that's why today we're talking about you're engaging and you're sharing, right? So Adam was supposed to engage with what God said, just like Ezra and Nehemiah, just like Joshua. They would read the law so they could understand it and live it, engage with what God is doing in his story. And then what? Go share it. If you don't teach it to your kids, then how are they going to know? They're not, right? Or if you talk about it but don't act it out, don't live it out, then what are they actually learning? Yeah, they're, they're learning not to follow, right? And so for all these years, there's a lack of scriptures. There's, no, there's nothing written down. There's no book that people can go to. And we just take this for granted. For most of history, there's no written scriptures. Not even the Old Testament. Not even the first five books. So the next section deals with when did we get all 66 books? Well, from about 1406, okay, the, the one is a little cut off there, but from 1406 BC, okay, that's when we started getting some writings, to about 8400, um, the 66 books all got put together. Now, why AD 400? Okay, again, you could you could alter that number by a little bit. Now, if you want to go and say, well, when was the last book of the Bible written? Well, probably around 95 AD for the book of Revelation. Uh, Apostle John wrote that. Um, so you can take 300 years off that if you want. But just because they were written, they, they weren't put together in a book. Right? And so, you know, some church had some of it over here, and some had some over here, and some had some over here. So, again, you get 1,806 years if you subtract that. You want to take a couple hundred years off? Fine, we can round it to 1,500. So 1,500 years before you get the 66 books put together. So you're dealing with five, six, seven, eight thousand years, no scriptures. Then you're dealing with another 15 to 1,800 years before you got the scriptures all put together, the 66 books put together into a book. But it's not even printed yet. So lastly, you got from 400, give or take, to 1,400. So over a thousand years before the first Bible's printed. Now you add all that up, and you got over eleven thousand years. Now, if you want to change your
your starting point to about 6,000, then that's going to alter that by just a little bit. You're going to end up with about 7,454 years. Okay? Either way, you're talking about quite a bit, right? You want to alter it down? James Usher is a, a guy that did a chronology of the Bible. He went and he added up all of the people listed in the chronology. He came up with a date for the creation of 4004 BC. So even if you went with his date, okay, you still end up with thousands of years for this whole process. The problem with his date is that there are gaps in the chronology, um, and we've studied this, you know, a lot more since then. And, and there's clearly there's some gaps between people's names in the chronology because they were highlighting certain uh, people. So either way, okay, we're talking. You know, five, ten thousand years worth of God's story of history, all right, that people uh, have been engaged and active with. But most of that, was there a Bible? No, there was not. And so today, this is this is what is so, um, you know, frustrating to anybody that teaches the Bible or preaches the Bible, um, is we have such a wealth of information. We have God's revelation uh, in 66 books. Is any way you want, hardcover, softcover, paperback, mahogany leather, goat skin, calf skin, you can pay anywhere from a dollar at the Dollar Tree for a King James paperback to uh, several hundred dollars um, for the revelation of God. The average household has four or five of them. But we're not engaged with God's story. We're not engaged with what he's doing. And that's a challenge because if you're going to be good at anything, you all know it takes what? Sometimes they, they wonder, well, how do you know so much about the Bible, Kevin? It was very simple. What have I done for 20 years? I've read and studied it. Exactly. So if you want to know a lot about the Bible, all you got to do is what? Read and study it. Yeah. And live it out. All right? Well, you could ask me, but you're only going to get, like, this much. I mean, I can't tell you everything I know. Um, I don't even know all that I know. So um, if you want to be... Uh, the, the best basketball player, you practice. Okay? Michael Jordan did not start out as the best basketball player. He started out pretty much as a wingback. He practiced. He practiced. He practiced. He practiced more than anybody else. Everybody else at home, he practiced. And what happened? He became the best, right? Well, he's not perfect, but he became the best, right? So, if you want something, and this is this is the issue. This is the rub. What do you want more than anything else? Do you want to be engaged in God's story more than anything else? It's the only story that's eternal. That's it. No other story is eternal but God's story. If you want to be engaged in that, then you have got to decide that you are going to devote yourself. Michael Jordan decided, I am going to devote myself. I'm not going to be the reject. I am going to be the best. What happened? He became the best. Now, you can take that application to anything you want. Mm -hmm. So, if you want to be the best mechanic, or you want to be the best hamburg flipper, then you can do that. And I'm not saying to do or don't do either one of those, but I'm saying this. Your number one thing needs to be that you become the best devoted follower of Jesus you can possibly be. 
And that's got to be the number one thing, more than anything else. In order for that to happen, you've got to devote time. It does not happen by accident. It didn't happen for Michael Jordan by accident. It didn't happen for anybody by accident. And so I want to talk just for a couple minutes about the Bible and what it is. Okay, What is the Bible? How does it put together? Um, these are things that you know I teach my kids in Christian schools. I teach students um, at Baptist College of Florida. You have to understand a little bit about the Bible and how it's put together and how it works in order to engage in it. All right? Because otherwise you jump in and you jump into Leviticus or you jump into Numbers and you just get lost and bogged down. Or in my case, in second grade and Job, right? So whatever it's going to be, you got to understand about the Bible. The record of the revelation of God to his people. Um, without God telling us this, without him revealing it, we wouldn't know anything about it. So, what, what, has, he, what has he told us, and how does this fit together? Well, first off, um, you could put this uh, on the back of your paper or somewhere, but there's 66 books in the Bible. Alright? Some of you don't remember that, maybe. There's 66 books in the Bible. Alright? And they're written by 40 different authors. That's the number up on the top in the, in the gold emblem thing. 40 different authors. Okay? Now, that's divided, the 66 books, into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why is it called Testament? Well, Testament comes from the word covenant. It has to do with the covenants God made. Covenants are a crucial part of the Bible. A covenant is a promise, it's an agreement that God makes with people. And God keeps his promises always. And so when the people break it, they suffer consequences for breaking the covenant. So there's 39 books in the Old Testament, as you can see on the screen, and 27 in the New Testament. And it took some 1,500 plus years to write this. Now, I don't care about the chapter parts down at the bottom right now, but the 39 and the, the 27, that's, that's the two aspects that you got to kind of remember. And when I teach this in the, in the class at school, I, there's some tricks you can, you can learn to try to remember that. But the, the point is, there's a whole bunch of them. There, there's 66 and it's divided into the Old and the New um, Testament. Now, when we get to the Old Testament, I think one of the easiest ways is um, to think of three sections. Okay, three is easy. The Trinity is three. You know, lots of things are threes. Um, you can do this in more than one way, but I think if you think of the Old Testament in three parts, you got the history, you got poetry or wisdom, and you got prophecy. So, history, poetry, and prophecy, and if you add up all the blue part, you'll find that there are 17. And if you add up all the red part, you'll find that there's 17. And if you add up the yellow part, you'll find there's 5. So um, history, wisdom or poetry, and prophecy. So history, poetry, prophecy, is 17 books, 5 books, 17 books. Now you can further divide the history into all sorts of parts. Um, you know, the first part you probably know is, is called the Torah or the Pentateuch. It's the first five books. So 17 of minus 5 leaves you, you know, with 12 others. And you get the same thing when you go to the prophets in red. There's the major prophets. There's five of them. And 17 minus 5 again leaves you with 12 minor prophets. Why are they major and minor prophets? It's simply based on how long the book is. The major prophets are longer. So they're basically ordered in their length. Um, this is not how the, the Hebrews had them ordered. But that's a, another topic for a different day. Um, but this is the Old Testament. So how many parts are there? No? How many parts? Three parts, right? Three parts, right? The blue, the yellow, and the red, right? History, poetry, and prophecy, right? How, how many books in history?
mystery? Share God's story 
with other people. Okay? The, the first one, if I remember from last week, what's our first icon? Yeah? The garden. The tree of the garden. Ooh. Good job. Okay? So the first is the garden. Okay? That's the first oh. F. Okay? This is Genesis 1 through 11. So it's the first, how many chapters of the Bible? 11. 11. Yeah, how many chapters? 11, right? So the first 11 chapters of the Bible. So this is God's upper story and lower story coming together. So in his upper story, he creates this lower story, and that's, that's where we're going to live. These two are going to come together. At some point, God, in the form of Jesus, is going to leave the upper story element and join us in the lower story element. But, as we'll see next week, even in the garden, God was already joining Adam in the lower story in the garden. And so here... You should, um, you know, draw a little tree if you want. And Genesis 1 through 11 is the part that this uh, deals with. The next story, I'm, I'm going to make you do something related to this in just a minute as well. But the next one is a star. What is it? Yes, Israel, the nation of Israel. This is going to be from Genesis 12 all the way through the end of Malachi. Okay, and so that's the rest of the Old Testament. So how many icons do you have for the Old Testament? Two. Two, that's it. The tree and the star. All right. From there, uh, we move the cross. to the cross. Okay. The cross is going to deal with what books of the Bible? Exactly. The Acts, the, the Gospels, right? So it deals with the Gospels. Okay. Then after the life and death of Jesus, yes, we have the fish, which is the church. Good job, Ashley. Okay. So the church is going to take us from the book of Acts all the way through the book of Jude. And that is going to leave us with just one thing, and the we're going to be again. back in the, the tree. tree, the garden, or the new, new garden and city, yes. Um, and that's going to be the book of Revelation. So what I want you to do now is on your paper, you have some room somewhere, I think, um, I want you to draw a diagram. So you can show someone the story of God, okay, on a napkin, on a scrap piece of paper. On the back of a receipt. Because it's just four diagrams, okay, which actually one of them duplicates itself. And so watch how you can do this. So on a napkin, all you simply need to do is start at the top, okay, and you have a tree. And you begin to tell them about God's story. And as I'll unpack it for you next week, right now you might be saying, Kevin, I can't tell them yet. Okay, well, next week we start with the tree in the garden, right? We start with what God created in the garden. So you start with the, the tree, and you just draw a tree, okay? Very good, okay? And then you tell them God's story, Genesis chapter 1 through what? 11. 11, very good. And then, it's not on the screen, but you can draw a little arrow to the right, and you move to the star. And then you begin to tell them about God's story from Genesis 12 through the end of Malachi. And, oh, Kevin, that's a lot. You're right, it is. That is 38 books worth of stuff. But guess what? Do you have to go through every verse of all 38 books? No. no. You're given the highlights. If you have 30 minutes to tell the story, then you have 30 minutes. If you have 30 seconds, guess what? You can tell it in 30 seconds. Okay? So then after that, you go to the cross. Okay? So you could draw another arrow to the cross. All right? And you could tell them about the life of Jesus. And again covers four Gospels. Do you have to tell them the entire story? No. No, but you should definitely highlight the fact that he was born, he died, he rose from the dead, right? Those are the key elements, right? 
And then from there, you move on to the fish, which is after church, the Jew, church, right? The, the church, church, how God, and the Old Testament, he was working through who? <coughs> Look at your diagram. It's on the, it's on the screen. In the Old Testament, who was God working through? Israel. The nation of Israel, right? The star, right? He was working through the star, the nation of Israel. And in the New Testament, who's he working through? The church. The church. See, this is, go back to your diagram. Go back to the diagram. Jesus is the connector between them. Okay? Jesus comes from the nation of Israel and starts the church. So see, it's all connected to your diagram. You just refer back to it. You don't need to go anywhere else. You just have to know the Bible story in its simple form and explain to people. And here's the deal. There will be people who have been in church their whole life that have never heard this in a 10-minute explanation. And, and, and they've never thought about how the Bible fits together. Because like I said before, people read all sorts of parts of the, body they, or the Bible. They hear preaching and, and Bible studies. But it's like a buffet. It never gets connected for them. And so what do we do lastly? You're like, Kevin, there's only four pictures here. I know. Because the first and last are what? They're the same. So we end back with what? Yes. A new renewed tree, a new garden, a new garden city, to be more accurate. Now, some of you that have studied the Bible a little more, or in the future as you have studied it more, you might come back and think, yeah, I don't think that was very accurate, Kevin. I, I think, you know, I don't think there, there should be a tree at the end. I think it should be a city. Okay, I'm with you. I understand. All right? But here's the deal. We're simplifying, all right, and, and making it flow so that everyone can understand this. Just like when we looked at the books of the Bible, okay, to, to boil them down into three, it's maybe a little bit too simplistic. But that's how they teach you at school too, right? When you're in kindergarten, they, they teach you one thing. And then by the time you get to third grade, you learn, oh, it wasn't exactly like that. And by the time you're in high school, no, it wasn't exactly like that at all. And you learn all these different details and nuances. It's the same thing. It's, it's not a lie, okay? It is a remade garden. But it's going to be more like a garden city. All right? And so what you have on the screen is, is the five icons, except that the one is duplicated there. And so, boom, on a piece of paper or a napkin, anybody can draw those. You can draw them. Everyone can draw a tree. The star is just two triangles, right? I it, I the cross is just the cross, and the fish is, you know, anybody can make that, right? So you can teach somebody God's whole story all right, through that. And if you want one more resource, okay, you can even, on your smartphone, you can go get the app for it. There's a Share the Story app, okay? You can get it for your iPhone or your Android, and you can use that. The app will give you a key paragraph that explains each one of the sections. In fact, I encourage you to get the app. Learn the paragraph. It allows you, you don't have to, but you can put in an accountability partner. And when you learn to memorize the paragraph that goes with each of the five icons, you can they mark it off for you. Okay? But you can use that. It's got the symbols, etc., to help you. What, what's the point? Engage the story. Share the story. If you don't know the story, can you engage and share? No. No, you can't. So part of engaging is learning it, okay? And that's why in the next 31 weeks, we're going to teach it to you. We're going to help you understand the story so you can know it. Know the story, engage the story, share the story. That's what our challenge is. Um,
even what you've learned last week and this week is already enough for you to begin sharing the story with people. Okay? For you to share uh, students when you're at school. Share with somebody a little bit about the story. It's like, do you know anything about God's story? Well, what do you mean? I, I can show you in, literally in two minutes. 30 seconds. I can show you in 30 seconds. Can I, can I have that napkin right there? Take it out past the pen. Draw the diagram. Show them. Remember when we did the um, the evangelism with the circles? You guys remember that? No? The evangelism with the circles? No. Circle, arrow, circle. Oh, about arrow. the breakness, the brokenness. There you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. See? If we don't use it, what happens? Exactly. Okay? That was, a, that was a way to share the gospel with people, which also is, a, is available as an app. Okay? So... People have paid money and invested to make it easier than it needs to be, I suppose, for us to engage and share in God's story. Um, if we don't take advantage of that and do anything, it's, it's on us. I mean, it's just our laziness. So let's not be lazy. Let's instead be devoted followers of Jesus. All right, let's pray. Well, thank you for the opportunity to study your word. Um, I love your word, God, and I thank you that you have revealed it to us. Um, it would be so much different thousands of years ago without your word. Uh, I guess we would just sit around the campfires and we would listen to our grandparents share with us what had been shared with them and what had been passed down from their grandparents. Um, I pray, God, that we would engage in your story. We would learn it. We would know it. We would know it. We would engage it. And we would share it, God. Um, so in the name of Jesus, you can be famous. Alright.